These are some of the most harrowing words in the Bible. You can see that David is wrestling between two things. He knows God. He loves God. He's known him since he was a little child. And yet he feels so utterly forsaken by God. He feels like God doesn't care. He feels like God isn't listening. He's in this painful wrestle in Psalm 22. Now, I recognize some of David's suffering is unique, but if you're a Christian, you may have had some of these feelings before. Have you ever felt forgotten by God? Have you ever felt like God's not listening? Have you ever felt like your prayers are hitting the ceiling in your suffering and in your pain? As a church, we've been going through a season of suffering. We lost a beloved friend and Deacon Dirk recently, struck down by lightning, seemingly just unexpected. We've had beautiful people struck with aggressive cancer. We've had funerals for widows who've lost their husbands early. And sometimes in situations like these, we, we ask, my God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? And this is why we need to learn from Psalm 22 this morning. Because this is exactly the question that David himself asks. And today, on Good Friday, we see how David's question and our questions are answered by God. So let's take a look together. And we're just going to focus on the first half of the psalm, verses 1 to 18. And we're going to look at it under three headings. First, Psalm 22 on David's lips. Then we'll look at it as Psalm 22 on Jesus' lips. And then on our lips. But first, let's look at Psalm 22 as it rolls off the lips of David. You see, when David sings this psalm, the one who first wrote this psalm, we don't know what situation he's referring to. But you can see the pain he is in in these first 18 verses. In verses 1 to 2, he talks about this God-forsakenness he feels. But in verses 3 to 5, he, he says, but you're the one who loves Israel. You've delivered God's people in the past. You, you have answered. You have saved. He talks about the scorn that he's experiencing. He talks about what's almost an execution scene in verses 12 to 18. He says in verse 15, you lay me in the dust of death. But at the same time, he says in verses 9 to 11, that he's known God ever since he was born. You brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you. From birth I was cast on you. God is like this divine midwife who was there right from the beginning. And so David is wrestling with this. And we don't actually know what situation this refers to in David's life. Maybe it's lost in historical records. But there's mysterious things that he says in this psalm. Like in verse 16, he says, They pierce my hands and my feet. As far as we know, that never literally happened to David. Maybe he's being poetic, but it's, it's mysterious. Why does he use that kind of language? He says in verse 15, you lay me in the dust of death. He's talking about dogs surrounding him, bulls surrounding him, like he's about to get executed by these vicious people. But as far as we know, there's no real parallel to that in David's life. There's mystery here. You see, the thing is, it seems that the Holy Spirit had inspired David to write this psalm. 
because it would most perfectly flow off the lips of another. And we're going to look at this together under our second heading, Psalm 22 on Jesus' lips. You see, Jesus is one of David's descendants. And this psalm was written a thousand years before Jesus' crucifixion. And yet it so perfectly describes his sufferings on Good Friday. When we hear Psalm 22 full of Jesus' lips, it gives us some poetry to be able to grasp at the depths of his suffering. What he was going through on Good Friday. And in the New Testament, the writers of the New Testament saw this Psalm 22 so perfectly fit Jesus, so they constantly are quoting this and alluding to this Psalm. And I want to show you how they do that. And as we do, we'll look at what Jesus was experiencing in his crucifixion on Good Friday. So in Psalm 22, verse 1, we read, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus literally quoted that as he was dying on the cross. He wanted us to think of this psalm. He wanted us to go to this psalm to help us to understand what he was going through. He he felt this God-forsakenness. David was never truly God-forsaken. Halfway through the farm, the the psalm, the, the, the tone changes and something's happened. He's been rescued in some way. But Jesus was on the cross. He was truly God forsaken. Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? He felt utterly alone on the cross on that Good Friday. It's like his father wasn't listening to him. He wasn't. He turned his face away. In verses 6 to 8, Jesus talks about the scorn he experienced. But I am a worm and not a man. He was treated like an animal. And when he says in verse 8, this insult, he trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. That's almost quoted verbatim at the end of Matthew's gospel. There were people there. The Pharisees were there. They were gathered around Jesus' crucifixion, and they were mocking him in this way. If he's God's king, let him come down from the cross. If he's so special to God, why doesn't God save him? They heaped insult upon his pain. And then in verses 12 to 18, it's this execution scene. Many bulls surround me, roaring lions that tear their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. You get a sense of what Jesus might have been feeling, like his strength was sapped from him, the dread that filled him on that day. He says, my mouth is dried up. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Jesus literally at the end of John's gospel said, I thirst. He fulfills this psalm so perfectly, but we see it so amazingly in verse 16, where it says, they pierced my hands and my feet. I don't believe that ever happened to David. We don't know, but it happened to Jesus when he was crucified. You see, when Psalm 22 falls off Jesus' lips, we begin to understand the depths of the suffering that he was experiencing. He was truly God and truly man. He went through that pain and he went through that suffering. When we think about what Jesus did, how can we not be grateful? I mean, Jesus went through all of this for me and for you. He was abandoned for you. He was forsaken for you. 
He suffered for you. His hands and his feet were pierced for you. He died for you. And this fills our hearts with gratitude when we think about what Jesus did. But our hearts are even more filled when we think about the reason for his suffering, not just the depths of it. The reason we call today Good Friday and not Evil Friday is because Jesus' suffering served a purpose. The reason Jesus suffered was because he was acting as our place taker. In 1 Peter 3, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. He bore our sins. He took our place as sinners and submitted himself to the judgment our sins deserved. And ultimately, he suffered the hell of God-forsakenness in our place so that we could take his place of favor before God, so we could be accepted by God as his children. It's not that Jesus changed the Father's attitude towards us on Good Friday. Rather, Jesus demonstrated God's attitude toward us. He showed that God's love in choosing undeserving sinners like me is not unjust because God took on human flesh himself in Jesus and drank the cup of his terrible judgment against sin. You see, this is the mystery of Good Friday. God judged himself in Jesus. God judged himself. It was God in the flesh who cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me at the cross? Apparently, Martin Luther, the great 16th century reformer, was writing a sermon on Jesus' cry from the cross. And he started off with a blank page in the morning at his desk, and his servant visited him and gave him some food and left. And at lunchtime, the servant came back again. And Martin Luther was still there, face down, with a blank page. The servant left and came back at evening to serve him again. And still, the, the page was blank, and Luther cried out and put his hands up in the air and said, God forsaking God? Who can understand it? The mystery of Good Friday is that God embraced God forsakenness. He did it for us so that truly, that he did it for us so truly that he himself cried the same cry of David, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And because of the New Testament, we know that Jesus is the only one among God's people who ever truly was forsaken. Jesus was God forsaken for real. He didn't just feel it, he was. Jesus suffered so terribly because he was suffering on behalf of rebels and sinners. He was suffering on behalf of all the greed and all the injustice we've ever done in this world. He was their place taker, our place taker. And in this divine exchange, we discover the answer to our own cry, in our own suffering. And this is what we'll explore in our final section, Psalm 22 on our lips. It's interesting that the psalm begins with those words, for the director of music to the tune of the doe of the morning. You see, David wrote this psalm originally to be sung in the temple. He gave it to the director to be set to a familiar tune and to be sung by God's people. So the words of this psalm belong to David originally, but most perfectly to Jesus. But an echo of them belong to us as well. We're meant to sing them. None of us have suffered like Jesus did. None of us can pay the price for sin, but so many of God's people down the years have cried out to him, my God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? 
a Christian writer named Vanitha Risna has gone through her own fair share of suffering. And this is what she writes. We can hear the anguish in Christ's cry from the cross. I've felt that kind of despair in my own life. Though God will never literally forsake me, I have felt forsaken, abandoned, betrayed by those I loved. I've questioned where God was in my pain, and I've wondered what God would ever, what good would ever come from my suffering. Sobbing by my son's tiny casket was devastating. Receiving the divorce papers in the mail was beyond heartbreaking. Hearing the doctor say that my body was deteriorating and then watching it happen was agonizing. None of those trials felt redemptive. None of them could ever be celebrated. None of them even made sense. I never could have imagined that God would bring something beautiful out of my pain. I felt that my pain was deforming me, that I would forever be marred by it. Some of us have felt that. And sometimes these feelings tempt us to resent God, to think he doesn't care about our pain. There's a poem that speaks to this written by Dr. Roy Clements, and it's written from the perspective of one of the criminals crucified with Jesus. It says, It was on a Friday morning when they took me from the cell, and I saw they had a carpenter to crucify as well. You can blame it on Pilate, you can blame it on the Jews, you can blame it on the devil. It is God that I accuse. It's God they ought to crucify instead of you and me. I said to the carpenter hanging on the tree. Now Barabbas was a killer and they let Barabbas go. But you are being crucified for nothing here below. And God is up in heaven and he doesn't do a thing with a million angels watching and they never move a wing. It's God they ought to crucify instead of you and me. I said to the carpenter hanging on the tree. And you see, that's exactly the point. God was hanging on that tree in Jesus. At times we wonder if God is just, or we wonder how God can allow suffering. Perhaps, if you're honest, you've even thought yourself that God should suffer for creating a pain, world, world with pain in it. But Good Friday tells us he did. He did. He did suffer. He was crucified on our behalf. He was tortured. He was maligned. He was mocked. And why did he do that? Why did he write for himself the worst role to play in the human story? Because of his love for the undeserving. Because of his great love for mess-ups and the down and out. Good Friday is the answer to David's question and ours. The question... God, why have you forsaken me? God's answer is, I haven't. I haven't. In fact, I actually took God forsakenness to myself so truly in Jesus that you can never doubt that I'm for you, that I'm with you, that I love you, no matter how you are feeling, no matter how much suffering you are going through in this life. Glenn Scrivener, he's an Australian, but he lives in London. He's a pastor there. He writes, On the cross, Jesus shares our alienation from God due to our sins. He doesn't have a bungee cord wrapped around him, descending only so far but no further. No, he falls to the depths. The Lord of heaven endures hell. This means that Christianity has a surprising response to the age-old question, Where is God when it hurts? 
the Christian can say, I know a God who has asked that question himself. This means that the experience of hurt can never disprove this God. He has been the God-forsaken God. He is so identified with you in your plight that he has asked that question with you and for you. Therefore, if God takes even God-forsakenness to himself, then there simply is no situation in which we need to despair. Even the most profound experiences of abandonment can be a participation in the suffering of Christ and therefore an experience of the deepest divine fellowship. See, if you come to that place where you're thinking, I feel totally God-forsaken, you've come very near to the place that Jesus was feeling on that cross. You're participating with him in some echo of the sense. Good Friday is not good because of Jesus' pain. We call Good Friday good because it redeems our pain. And it gives us access to a God who did not remain aloof or cool toward us, but who revealed his heart by allowing the worst suffering to fall upon his head and crush him. Let's go back to Venetha as we finish. She went on to write in that same article, at first it seemed like nothing was happening, nothing but disillusionment and defeat. It honestly felt like Satan was wrecking my life. Similarly to the disciples on that terrifying Friday, it must have seemed like Satan was victorious. Their savior was crucified. Their dreams were dead. Their hopes had unraveled. Maybe, maybe evil really had won. And then everything was silent for two long days. It may have seemed like nothing was happening, nothing but disillusionment and defeat. But in the wisdom of God, when life looked darkest, it gave way to the dawning of the purest, most brilliant light. Much of what is really happening is unseen. While it may look otherwise in the moment, Satan will never be victorious and evil cannot win. God always has the last word. What Satan means for evil, God means for good, always. So if you feel forsaken and have no idea where to turn or what to do, trust that God is using that very struggle. If life looks like a hopeless mess and every day is a fight to survive, trust that God will one day gloriously prevail. And when he has, when you are on the other side, trust that God will have done an incomparable work in your soul. So it's Good Friday today. It's not good because Jesus suffered. The torture and the death of the most perfectly pure and innocent man to ever exist was the worst thing that has ever happened in our world. But Good Friday tells us it was also the best. It was also the most magnificent, magnificent thing because it was through his suffering and through his death that Jesus secured our freedom and our adoption into God's family of love, our forgiveness, and our life forevermore. Let's give him thanks and let's pray together. Jesus, you truly entered the depths of suffering on Good Friday. And we thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit, that your, your presence is among us this morning. You're the man of sorrows. You are familiar with suffering. And Jesus, we just pray that you give us a, a fresh vision and understanding of what you went through. 
Jesus, we want to thank you. Thank you for enduring the shame for our sake. Where would we be without you, Lord? We'd be hopeless. But because of your death in our place, you secured access to the Father and our adoption into into your family. And, And we just want to praise you this morning, Jesus. We want to receive what you did, Jesus, and thank you for it. Help us to worship you. Help us to respond to you, to take up our cross and follow you. You are worthy of far more than we could ever give to you, Jesus. We love you. And we pray this in your name. Amen.